Hey, good morning once again. Uh, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter. Uh, we are in, let's have our screen back up again. We are on our series, continuing in the series, uh, called Christ, Our Living Hope. I think this is our fifth Sunday in this series, and uh, I, I feel it's been going well. We're going to probably be in it at least another five or six weeks, uh, probably more. And uh, yeah, a lot that we've been learning this morning uh, during the series. So uh, I'm going to read our passage for today, which is in chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. So I would encourage you to have a Bible with you open or on your phone and tablet. That's, that's allowed here at the Rock Church. But I'm going to probably talk about it again in a few minutes. I feel that's incredibly important to have your Bibles open somewhere, somehow, as we go through text. Okay? So let's get started. Um, we're continuing, as I say, and we're about to dive into, I want to suggest to you at the beginning here, uh, possibly one of most, the most profound seven verses that Peter has written, uh, at least in my humble opinion. We all know the Apostle Paul likes to write like volumes, right? And he's far more verbose than Peter uh, when it comes to Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, on and on he goes, right? Peter, uh, not so much that he has written, although he did contribute much to Mark's gospel, but when he writes, the words that he uses and the way that the Holy Spirit inspires him is absolutely remarkable. And I hope we can see that this morning. So let me read our passage for you, verses 4 to 10, then we'll pray one more time. Peter writing, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe... Quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a, stump of a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, um, every week, Lord, when we come to sing our praises and lift up our voices to praise you and thank you and to lift up the name of Jesus and to be in fellowship, loving one another the way that you've gifted us to be able to love one another and then to hear your word. Um, Lord, we truly are people who have, who have been honored 
to hear this and to receive this from you. Not just the word, but everything that the word speaks of that you've done for us and therefore honored us with and given to us. So I just pray this morning again, Holy Spirit, as, yeah, I've been praying since before last week's message, but since that and throughout this week, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work of illuminating our minds, speaking to our hearts, and changing our hearts, giving us boldness and confidence to trust you and your word more than anything else in our lives. So I pray that you'll do that today and this morning especially. I pray that in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So as I like to joke around, you know, I don't always have a three-point sermon for you, but guess what I have today? It, you know, it just, it's there. Interesting title for our sermon today. Come to Jesus. Go figure. It's in the text. Hope to show you three things from our text today. Number one, come believing. Number two, come and grow. And number three, come together. Church. So, so far in Peter's letter, I believe we've seen that he has had a very consistent pattern, right? He's had a very consistent pattern, as Paul has, as most of the New Testament writers have. He reminds them and us first about, listen, who God is. That's where he always starts. I want to I remind you about who God is and what he has done. It's, it's the orthodoxy, that fancy word Nick mentioned last week that I've been using, and orthopraxy, which we'll get to this week again. Important words, very important, good words. Or the indicatives from the English language, the foundational truths that they have and must believe, listen, before they are able to continue to obey Christ in this Christian life, especially as they experience trials and sufferings and persecutions like we don't today. Excuse me? <laughs> like we do today, right? And then out of that, out of that, then Peter and Paul and all of the writers then take us to the good conduct or the orthopraxy, the imperatives of the Christian life. But it's only then that they instruct us on how then we should live this life. It's requiring a foundational understanding of the Word of God and who God is and what He has done. So, as a recap, we need to do this this morning. Some of you are like, oh, dear Lord. No, we do. Foundationally, then, we know this. We know a few things. We, those who are in Christ, who believed, obeyed, and trust Him today, are elect exiles. Chosen people before the foundation of the world by the foreknowledge of God, and I'm taking this from Scripture, which is why I want you to have it open. It's not just on screen, but it's in your Bibles. You need to read it and have it there so that you can reflect on it later and say to yourselves, you know, it's not that I have to believe Glenn. Please don't just believe Glenn. <laughs> read it. Read the Word. Go to the Word. By the foreknowledge of God, men and women who God, look, we saw this in the first few verses, caused to be born again to a living hope, all his doing and due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sanctifying ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. So add to that and all of those amazing truths of the foundational truths of who God is and what he has done, therefore who we are today, if we are in Christ, add to that 
we are told earlier in this epistle, this letter, that we have been given an inheritance (laughs) beyond your wildest imagination in heaven that is waiting for us. And today, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit are guarding it, protecting it for you and for me. It's the most assured thing that you've got, aside from your salvation, if you're in Christ Jesus, is you have an inheritance. And by the way, it's, it's Jesus and everything that he has purchased for us, which is really remarkable and wonderful. I hope you agree. So after establishing these indicatives of who God is and what he has done, Peter then moves to the imperatives. The, 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 you know, based on these foundational truths, this then is how we should live, is how he wants to instruct us. Based on that, if you've got that, if that's your foundational truth and you understand that, that's who you are, that's your identity, hey, kids, here's how we live it out in this life and this world today. So Peter moves to these imperatives, of course, based on these foundational truths. And this is, so the first thing that we saw him do early on in the epistle is the first imperative is praise be to God. If these things are all true, praise should be on our lips every moment. I'm standing up here this morning with, G- with Janice and, I, I, and, and Nick is, and they're all singing and, and Jolene and, and playing, but I can hear you. We can hear you. I hope you can hear each other. Is it beautiful? Why is it beautiful? Because we're praising Jesus. We're praising him. That's the first imperative. That should be the outworking of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. Amen? You can talk out loud. This is, this is a mostly Baptist church, okay? It's all right. You can respond. It's a beautiful thing. So next, though, in the text, he's implored us to then be holy. Actually, the language is a perfect present tense. Yeah, yeah, you all love the Greek. It's about be being holy. In other words, being sanctified. Grow in holiness. That's an imperative. Preparing, also he said, our minds for action. Being sober-minded. Waking up every day. Being alert. Going to the word. Getting ready. Going back to the foundations. Now you're ready to go and live out the imperatives of our lives. Now you're, you're potentially, hopefully, ready to go live these obedient lives in a very countercultural way, as they did in those days, and that's why they were being persecuted, right? And then as we do that, here's what we're going to experience. You're going to experience this. You're going to feel just like them. You're going to realize this is not my home. <laughs> hashtag not my kingdom. Hashtag not my king. Okay? Relax. This isn't Christian. Yes, we should be worried and concerned about what's going on in the world, but this is not our home. So I also want to mention this to you. Looking back on last Sunday, we learned about a key way that Peter believed we needed to live out our Christian lives, a a imperative, a major imperative. And that was how we demonstrated our love for one another. Specifically, Agape love. If you weren't here last Sunday, I would challenge you and encourage you, not because of me, but go listen to that or watch that message. They're online. Again, what he did in that last week, and I need to reprise this with you this morning, and I hope you will see for good reasons. He's pointing them again back to the foundational truths. We saw that in uh, 
Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, they'll be on screen for you. He said this, he wrote, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, past tense. You, who he's speaking to and writing to, have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, perishable through the living and abiding word of God. So I forewarned you last Sunday, and if you haven't listened or watched to it, I'll forewarn you again. As we dove into this very challenging subject, the subject of agape love. In verse 22 here, we see the past tense of having purified souls. So Peter is writing to people. Actually, his, his words were always read in the churches. So they would have heard him speaking to people who have already been born again, who already have purified souls and hearts, as evidenced by their obedience to the truth and the living and abiding word of God, that the flow of agape love comes from, comes from, a purified heart, one that is born again, and it is that agape love that flows from the Father to the Son and back, and that love flows from the Father to the Son to us and through us, hopefully, into this world. That's the flow. And it means this. This is the challenging part. We need to revisit it because it's part of our text today. Only those who God has called, who are born again, who have responded in obedience to his call, who have now received the agape love, those who have it in them, it is they alone who are able to have it flow out of them and to this dead and dying world, this world that's in darkness. So I go back to this this morning for a few reasons. As I've already alluded, it's in our text today in a few ways but also because of this. I usually have encouraging weeks, despite some of the struggles, et cetera, that I am invited into in people's lives. But last week was a very encouraging week for me. <laughs> Not because of my haircut. Um, okay, yes. I'll tell you why. I heard that in at least two small groups last week, people discussed the message from last week in depth. And in one group, I understand, they actually listened to it or watched to it again before they did that. And, and, and I'm not saying that. I wasn't encouraged because, hey, they're listening to me. No, because they, they heard the, the teaching from last week and they were like, hold on. <laughs> I got to go, I go check that out. We, we got to talk about this. That's why I'm encouraged. Friends, that's why we do missional community groups. That's supposed to be the reason. Listen, people have questions after what they hear here on Sunday or what they read from the Bible. And we need to ask our questions in in an environment where we feel we can do that. But we also need our brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into our lives and hopefully help us with those questions. And so... What I want to do this morning is, before we dive into our text for today, because I think it'll be helpful, is I want to give a a few words of encouragement to those of you who struggle with the idea of the agape love of the Father only being possessed by those who are born again and in Christ, 
and only being able to flow out of them into this world. And listen to me, if you're not struggling with that, Christian, there's something wrong. (laughs) We should struggle with that. But it's about, as I hope to show you this morning, a deeper understanding of God's word. So essentially, I affirmed last week, I hope, and the elders, I hope, keep me accountable to this, what the scripture actually teaches. And that is that those who are in the world who do not know and obey Christ cannot actually access agape love. And certainly cannot have it flow out of them. Now listen, can they experience it? Of course they can. For God so agaped what? The world. For God so loved the world. You know what that verse is, right? John 3.16. Okay, I'm not going to quote the rest of it, but keep reading. Okay? Keep reading. The point is this. Yes, God, the Father, agape loves everyone. But that does not mean, that does not mean, however, that everyone receives it, trusts it, or even wants it. Let me give you some verses to help us with this, because it is challenging, I understand. I want you to be challenged, I want us to understand this, because it's important to your Christian faith and walk. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, look at this, do not love the world. He's speaking to who? Christians in the church, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. John's not finished with the subject. In chapter 3, he says this, See what kind of the love the Father has for us, actually has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us or understand us, we actually should be odd, by the way, is that it did not know him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame, but God's agape has been, look, poured into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Who has the Holy Spirit resident in them? Those who are born again, those who are Christian, those who are obeying the word of God and trusting Jesus for their salvation and for their eternity. That's who. Lastly, Paul writes to the Galatians, very, very famous verse. You all know this verse, but it's key to what I'm just trying to teach us. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he says, but... You all know this. It's quoted at every wedding, right? Well, besides 1 Corinthians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, this type of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And so finally, again, why do I come back to this this morning? Well, because we're going to deal with it a little bit more this morning, and later in First Peter we are, but also because of this. I believe in our day-to-day, the misunderstanding of God's word, specifically agape, but, but also the lack, honestly, of depth of knowledge of God's word 
the foundational truth of God's word is maybe not a pandemic, but it's endemic. Barna Research has been putting out research over the past 10 to 15 years, and it's frightening. I know pastors are reading this stuff, okay? But I'll just share it with you. Do you realize that in the United States in the last year, uh, uh, thousands and thousands of Christians, and listen, this is the stat, who claim to attend a local Christian church two to three times per month. I would say that's pretty committed people, right, apparently. They said in answering the question that basically they believe that God is learning as he goes. That he changes according to the way things are going. You do realize that that that's what a lot of people in the world believe, but do you, do you realize that that's what a lot of people in the church believe? Do you realize that? It's, why do I want you to have your Bibles open? That's why. And so my concern is, uh, there, there are, and you know this, there are many, many young men and women in the church today moving away from orthodoxy. In fact, in some circles, that word is like, it, like, people don't want to even say it. It's like, it's like, spit, it's like spitting, right? Orthodoxy? Oh, that's, that's kind of old school. That's kind of, oof. Doesn't, along with that come a lot of things that we don't want in the church today that we're, we've gone past? No. Please don't believe that. It's not true. And so listen, uh, my concern is, and Peter and I believe the Holy Spirit's concern 2,000 years ago was and is to this day, that we be grounded in foundational truth. It's critical for you and I in our walk with Christ. But listen, it's critical if you want to be on mission with Christ and go out into that darkness and lead people and tell people about the marvelous light. You have to know the truth. We're going to get into it more. I hope that's helpful. Number one, come believing. So number one from our text today, come believing. First verse is verse four. As you come to him. There you go. Pretty simple title. As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Oh, man. One commentator I read said that Peter was, what Peter was doing here is inviting his listeners. And again, as I said to you, these letters were written and sent to the churches, and then they were read by the elders of the church into the church. And people in that day didn't have Bibles like you do and can, right? So they were read, and they had to hear them, and they heard them over and over again, which is good, because, you know, like my grade 8 teacher, Mrs. Nevin, said, repetition, repetition, Glenn, that's how we learn. You guys love that analogy, don't you? That's what the Holy Spirit does, too, as well. But he said this, they all would have heard it this way. Peter's basically inviting them and us to a construction site, isn't he? That's basically what he's doing in this text to a certain extent. There's a building project going on here. And listen, it's from the ground up. Foundational. The first thing that we see in Peter's metaphor then are the words, as you come to him, of course, which is where we get our title. However, we come back, we'll come back to those. The first thing that we should see, however, and lean into here is how Peter describes Jesus. He is the living stone. I wanted to have an illustration hit for, for you today. I forgot at home, like a big rock. Stones are not alive, are they? Please let me know you've been to grade 12 science, right? They're not alive. So 
So it's a metaphor, right? And of course, what it's speaking about is he's relating to the fact that he's speaking about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. That's first for us to understand, and I'm sure most of you do. He is the stone, the cornerstone, as we will see. And he's the cornerstone, not just of the temple, the church today, but of all of life. So let's jump ahead to, we're going to skip over verse 5 first, to verses 6 to 8, to get a little bit of a clearer picture of this come to Jesus part today. He says in verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. So what's Peter doing? He's quoting the Old Testament, right? He's, He's quoting Isaiah 28, verses 16 to 17. It's a good idea to quote Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so Peter in this verse, listen, he's quoting, as I said, Isaiah 28. He's he's quoting in probably the year 60, AD 60. He's going back to a prophecy from 700-800 years ago, and, and He's displaying for us here in the Word of God clearly the foreknowledge of God and the predestined plan of God that this would happen and that this would happen through his Son, Jesus Christ, who would be the cornerstone, and he was and is, and those who would believe. And I believe from Scripture he knew exactly who you would be and who you are and that you were chosen as elect exiles. That's what our text has been teaching us so far. I love the words, and we should, that in God's eyes, and this is God who's speaking in Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, he is chosen and precious. You, I love this picture you know, for many reasons, but one of the reasons why I love it, Jesus is with the Father in heaven when these words are being spoken and written by Isaiah. Gee, thanks, Dad. This is the plan of God. He goes on in verses 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone, quote, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because two reasons. They do so, disobey the word and as they were destined just reading the text. Just reading the text. So let me ask you this morning, this important question. How honored do you feel here today? I'm going to do something that some of you don't think that I normally do, but I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning, and I'm going to do a little diversion that wasn't in my notes. Hmm. Amen? Because I'm reading my notes this morning like I normally do with Janice, having my coffee in the morning, go over my notes, reading it right, and going, okay, what was written here? What am I going to do? How am I going to say this? And I got to this passage, and it was a little bit like, it wasn't like the Holy Spirit said, hey, Glenn, I forgot to tell you this. It was more like, Glenn, did you notice this? Christian, do you understand how honored you are? How honored we are? Do you ever sometimes just by going about your life, whatever, and just take this for granted? How honored you are? I was thinking about how can I illustrate this to you, and the best I could come up with on short notice, 
I believe from the Holy Spirit, was, you know, like there are a lot of honors you can get in the, in, in the world today, right? And some of them are good. They're, it's wonderful to be honored for some great accomplishment, isn't it? Like getting an A on a test, right? Yeah. Okay, I felt that was an honor when I got a star, right? But I thought of this. What about the Order of Canada? I, I like watching those ceremonies, actually, when, when people come up, like Chris Hatfield, the astronaut, came up and got, got his Order of Canada, right? I mean, is that an honor? Well, sure it is. Come on, it is. That's a great honor to be recognized by your country, but it's a, it doesn't quite fit the illustration here or analogy perfectly to what we want to get at, but maybe in a second. Okay. But it's this. It, it is an honor. It is based, of course, upon human works. And so you're being honored because you did good things. You were benevolent. You were, you were generous. You know, you were, you're being honored because of your, your labor and your heart for your country, for Canada. That's an honor, and we should, we should honor that, and we should respect that. I would be honored. I'm never going to get an Order of Canada, but that would be wonderful. Now, how would you feel? Let me ask you this. How would you feel if one day the Canadian government, because you never know, <laughs> oh, that was a joke, uh, decided that, you know, you know what, it's kind of unfair. You know, we're judging people harshly this, with this award. We're, we're elevating certain people above others. We, should, we really shouldn't be doing that. You know, you know what we should do is we should open up the gate a little bit more. We should make everybody feel like they, that's like a participation badge, right? Okay. Uh, they, everybody should get an Order of Canada. Now, if you've had an Order of Canada given to you, how would you feel about that? Okay, again, it's a stretch of the illustration, the analogy, but how about this? How about you're a recipient of the Order of Canada and someone well-known is nominated to receive the award and agreed that, they should receive the reward, but they reject it. Not only do they reject the reward, the award and the honor, but at the same time they say, yeah, you know what? The reason why I'm rejecting it is I don't want to be part of this country anymore. I'm leaving. Now maybe that comes to how we honor Christian. You are honored. This is a blessing, yes, but you've been honored. I believe we should hold fast to that understanding. But then Peter adds in our text, but for those who do not believe, hence agape love, this is where the rubber meets the road, I would suggest to you. He says the stones that the builders rejected. Okay, who, who are they? Well, those were the leaders and the people of Israel who rejected the the. the Yes, the original builders of the material temple where God dwelled in the Old Testament. The original builders rejected who? Jesus. That we know from Scripture. They are the people of Israel, as I said, who rejected him. So, so what does this mean for those who do not believe today? It means this. What he says is that stone, Jesus, is now embodied the physical cornerstone. And for those who do not believe, he is the cause of them stumbling or being offended. How do people stumble? Well, they hear the word of God and they, it, just, it, it, it doesn't work for them. 
it doesn't work for the way they're living their lives. It, it just doesn't work. They, they, they come to a church gathering because you, you say, well, listen, listen, I understand, I understand, but just come. Like, our preacher's really good. Actually, don't, please don't say that. I know he's not. But anyway, like, but just come to church, right? And so what do people do? They, they, they come and, and, and you know what they're doing? Yeah, I know they're checking me out and they're checking you out and they're checking the whole thing out. But you know what they're checking out? They're checking out Jesus. They're evaluating him. It's offensive. You realize that, right? The gospel's offensive. You're a sinner. And you cannot save yourself. <laughs> and many other things that the Bible teaches are offensive in our world and culture today, right? But he's also a stumbling block. And so lastly, Peter tells us why they respond in unbelief and offense. It's because, listen, they disobey the word of God. They hear the call. They hear the word of God. They hear the gospel and they will not obey. They will not repent and trust and allow God's agape love to change their heart. That's first and foremost. But also, as you saw in our text, and again, I just leave it with you. You do your own reading and your own research. It says, as they were destined to. That's the word of God. Now, Peter's first imperative then is, as we've just been looking at, come to Jesus believing. Don't come to Jesus with all your questions and, well, I don't know about evolution and creation and on. Come believing that this man is the, is the living God of the universe, that he actually did die for me on the cross and that in him I can find forgiveness and new life. Come believing. Number two, come and grow. Verse five, we go back to, you yourselves like living stones, look, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So again, as it is his pattern and the writers of the New Testament, Peter speaks first of the key indicative, who God is, but also what he has done, and then, of course, out of that, who you now are. This is a key indicative that we understand. And so we too are, as we see in our text and we've seen today, we too are living stones. If we are born again, we're alive. We are not whole again. We are fully whole. Okay, there's still work to be done. But one day in Christ, we will be fully and completely whole. That's the beauty that we see in the gospel of Christ. So in addition, we are part of this building project. We are supposed to be part of this building project. That's why we're supposed to be here. And as we'll see in a second, come together, right? We are living stones being built up. This is our sanctification on the cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ, on the foundational truths that we know from the scripture about him. I've often mentioned to you before about my dad, Passed away 15, 16 years ago. When I grew up in Toronto, he was a general manager of a construction company, went on to be a building inspector in Toronto. But uh, actually, in his construction building life, he was a master builder, he really was. But he, by trade, was actually, in Toronto, it's considered lowly in the trades. He was a bricklayer. My dad was a bricklayer, and he started with a grade 9 education, went to Northern, uh, Northern High School, I think, just to get his grade 12 certificate so that he could become a bricklayer. He did. He used to work on the side in Toronto, um, I think under the table, I don't know for sure. 
Sorry, Dad. Um, doing fireplaces and mostly repairing fireplaces in the city of Toronto that weren't functioning well. In Toronto, most of you who are from back east, you'll know that most homes are built with brick, right? Cinder block on the inside and red or whatever brick it gets painted on the outside. And, and all of the fireplaces are built with brick as well. My dad used to take me sometimes when he was building a fireplace. And I learned a lot of lessons from my dad and when he was repairing as well. And there was a couple of things that he taught me. He said, first and foremost, son, number one, there's two things to make a good fireplace. It has to be level. Those first row of bricks have to be completely level, and they need to be, anybody know? Square. To the foundation, to the building, right? It was, I mean, it makes sense, right? But you have no idea. You lay one row, and there's like little mortar, like concrete in between, and then you throw some more on the next, and you tap them down. You've got to keep leveling it as you go. It, it's a tedious job to build a fireplace, to build a good fireplace requires that you build it level and square. Secondly, inside the chimney, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't at the time. But inside the chimney, there's the flue, right, that goes up and it's supposed to draw the smoke out. Well, inside the flue, there's a, usually a chain and there's a damper door, right, that you can pull and the damper will open because you want to start a fire or you can close it so the cold air doesn't come down when you don't have a fire going. Right below that is a shelf. And that shelf, the, the, the diameter, the, the dimensions of it are critical. And they're based on the height of the chimney and the dimensions of the flue. And listen, if that shelf isn't perfectly placed on a perfectly level and square fireplace, the chimney probably won't draw properly. And you might get smoke come back into your home. Some people from back east are nodding. <laughs> You need a fireplace repaired? Sorry, Dad's gone home. Um, so listen, listen. This, it's true in our lives. Why? Because God created level and square, right? He created these things. And it's true even in, in, in the world's understanding of things. This metaphor here, this house that Jesus is building is being built on the cornerstone, not any cornerstone, the cornerstone that is perfect in every way, and it is Jesus Christ. That is the point. Everyone hearing Peter's words in Asia Minor in that day knew how critical the cornerstone was. Not, not only how critical it was to being level, first of all, and square, but the stone itself had to be perfect in its dimensions. And it had to be laid perfectly before anything else started. So they knew all this. So I think one of the points we need to take from that is this. And I want to encourage everyone who's here at Christian, I hope you know this and I hope you understand this. He, this, is your foundation. But listen, every one of us can be tempted to do exactly what everyone in the world is doing. There are all kinds of foundations in this world that you can build your life on, Right? You can attempt to build your life on all kinds of foundations out there. The truth of the scripture is this. You potentially could be building your foundation on sand. Remember that parable? But it's also the truth is this. If you're building your house on any other foundation than Jesus Christ, you're building your home in vain. You're building your life in vain. That's what God wants you to know. Why? Because he wants you to trust him and let him build your life for you by you trusting him. 
And so our third point for today is come together. Verse, verse 4 should be read also like this, by the way, as you continually keep coming to Jesus. So it's not about a one-time coming to Jesus. It's like every day coming to Jesus, every Sunday coming and praising Jesus. It's a continual process. This is how we grow, how we are sanctified, made holy, and that all leads to the imperatives, how we live out these truths as we go. So first we saw it in verse 5. We offer spiritual sacrifices. Besides praises, we offer spiritual sacrifices. That's one of the imperatives. Finally, Paul, after 11 chapters in Rome of his indicatives, he gets to that same imperative in chapter 12. You all know the verse. It'll be on screen for you. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Basically saying, I'm begging you. (laughs) Me too. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So how are we living out our spiritual sacrifices? By dying to ourselves daily, right? Taking up our crosses, our burdens, (laughs) our trials and persecutions, and following him completely and faithfully. We see one more imperative in verse 9. Possibly my favorite, if not your favorite verse, in 1 Peter. Look at the words. But you, Christian, Christians, plural, are a singular, singular, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He wants us to be his. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his Marvelous light. So the idea of coming together actually began in verse 5 as we are being built up, right? We come together this day in missional community group, being built together. We, 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 we lie on top of each other. Okay, not, don't, don't get this metaphor too crazy. Uh, but but we're, you know, we're there together. We're being built into the same thing together. We're, we're that close to each other, or we're supposed to be, right? We're being built up into a spiritual house, which is what? The church, Jesus said that we get our name from it. Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, what? Thank you, George. What's the matter with the rest of you? George knew that verse. I will build my church. Scripture is so consistent, isn't it? It's so amazingly consistent. I love it. Oh, I hope you do too. We are, listen, we know this is a church. The church is not a building place or event. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Another metaphor for this building, this temple that we are being built up into. It's beautiful, again. But here is one of many, uh, I am sure, as I said, our favorite verses. But I also want to say to you this, a couple things quickly before we go to our conclusion. You're not going to find the word racism or racist anywhere in the Bible. You're not. I know it's a big deal in our culture. Listen, our sinful human beings racist and the cause of racism? Yes, they are. But in the scripture, what we read about is impartiality. Don't be impartial. In other words, don't have favorites. Don't treat one group of people based on whatever, skin color, nation they're from, doesn't matter what it is, background, faith background. Don't be partial to anyone in particular. The scripture teaches us that God himself is not partial. He's impartial. 
We also read in Revelation that, listen, this might be a shock to some of you, newsflash, in heaven, every nation, tongue, and tribe will be represented. Amen? Hello? And I am really proud to say at our church, (laughs) slowly over time, that's being represented in our body. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Every nation, tongue, and tribe being what? Together and being one. That's the beauty of what we see here. So again, in verse 9, we understand that in God's view, those who are, who are his are in Christ are a singular chosen race, one race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a singular people who are his, all his. Well, actually, we're each other's too. That's what he wants, by the way, more than anything else. That's what he wanted with the people of Israel, and that's certainly what he wants and has for us. And so, here you go if you're keeping, if you're keeping score this morning, our last imperative. Most of you are going, amen, come on, wrap this up, preacher. It's our last imperative for today, and I hope we're all seeing this. It's about, it's about why does God bless us in these ways? Why has he chosen us? Why, why, why? So that's. I love the so that's of Scripture. The imperatives that are the so that. So that what? so that we might proclaim all the excellencies of him. Where? In our sleep? Seed casters, hello? Remember, there's sign-up sheets at the back. In the world. In the world. Why? Because he is the one who called you and I out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's why. And so how good is that? So let me ask you this morning, have you, have you come to him yet? I have to ask that question. I, 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 I hope and assume, of course, everyone here has or watching online or listening later. I hope so. But this is a come to Jesus sermon. Not because of me, but because of his word. It always is. It should be. And so have you. Peter ends with verse 10. Once, at one time, you were actually not a people. Oh, you thought you were. But you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So friends, in conclusion, I just want to say this. We are, every one of us in this world, are at any given time, hopefully recently and in your past, being called to come to Jesus. Romans 1 tells us, that we've all, we all know. We all know, just looking at creation, that there is a God. We all know that. We don't need to have some Christian standing in front of us calling us a sinner and telling us we need to repent and all the rest of it. We know. But we suppress that truth, and we reject it. People do. So again, the question is, have you heard the call? Have you obeyed by responding and following Jesus? His plan then is this, that this new temple, this new place where God now dwells. Guess where God dwells? I heard a worship leader recently, and I'm not being critical, but he, but he, he opened up, you know, Nick, you're going to love this. He, he opened up the worship service and said, welcome to the, the house of the Lord. Okay, I understand the sentiment. But is the ledge here the house of the Lord? Actually, do you know where the Lord dwells right now? <laughs> In you and in me. So yes, in some sense, when the church is gathered, this is the house of the Lord. Yeah. 
And so this is what we're being built into, where God dwells, this building that is built upon and up into the perfect cornerstone, the living stone who is Jesus, and is built up stone by stone. I will build my church. I will build my church. The reason why the Lord is delaying coming again is because he still wants more stones welcomed into his temple, into his church. That's why. He wants that. Those whose hearts have been purified, who are born again into the church that Jesus promised he would build so that you and I might grow up in him, so that you and I might be on mission with him, and so that, listen, I realize it's even gray and a little bit dark out today, but so that you and I would go out there and welcome those who are walking in darkness into his marvelous light. Honestly, I'll leave you with this, just a question. Is there any greater purpose or mission for your life. Pray with me, would you?